Well, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 15, verse 22. The scripture says, And behold, a Canaanite woman came out from that region, and she began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me. Now, the story of this Canaanite woman is a story of faith. This woman, Jesus said, had great faith. It's, it's very interesting, really. This woman's faith was not great because it was stronger or more sincere or more mature than other people's faith. It was great because it was based on so little. This lady was right out of a pagan uh, history. She had lived among people that were barbarians. She had lived among people that worshipped idols and that had all kinds of goddesses and gods and all kinds of things. And that was her whole background. And she came out of that to say to the Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Well, the Canaanite woman was raised in this culture that was renowned for its wickedness, and its vileness. She was a descendant of people that God had commanded Israel to kill. Kill every one of them. That was the command of God. This lady somehow, uh, maybe she had gotten away in, in some particular way. We really don't know. She had no heritage at all in God's word, in God's promises, in God's people, In the tabernacle, the temple, the priesthood, the sacrifices, she didn't have any of that in her background. Nothing. Therefore, because she believed so much relative to so little revelation, Jesus called her faith great. And from her story, uh, we can get five principles. I'm just going to deal with two of them tonight. Uh, Repentant. Properly directed, reverent, persistent, and humble. If those words describe the kind of faith that you have, then Jesus would call your faith great. Because this woman was a Canaanite, she was probably a worshiper of pagan deities that were popular in that very region where she came from. The fact that she came to Jesus, a Jewish teacher, a Jewish healer, indicates that she was disillusioned with all of the pagan gods. She had prayed to them and they hadn't done anything. You know, I wonder tonight as we gather here, why there are a billion and a half people that believe in Allah. A billion and a half people that believe in Allah. And, you know, the, the question that comes is that Allah has never done anything for them. Allah has never blessed them. Allah has never had uh, uh, promises about him by prophets centuries before that uh, turned out exactly like uh, the prophecies went. None of that with Allah. She came to Jesus. She was disillusioned with the moral, immoral debauchery that had characterized her religion. 
And turning to Jesus, she turned away from Satan and from sin to the way of God, to the essence of repentance. The woman's plea is further proof of her penitence. She knew she didn't deserve Jesus' help. I don't know if there's been a time in your life when uh, you have been kind of out of God's will and you were living perhaps in a sinful state in your life and right in the middle of that, the light went off somewhere and you turned and came before the Lord on your knees maybe in a church service maybe and you said, Lord, have mercy on me. And he did. And he did. He changed your heart. He changed your destiny. He changed everything about you as he responded to the plea for help, the plea for mercy that you gave. This plea uh, was one that was very, very sincere. Her only hope for undeserved forgiveness was the mercy of the Lord Jesus. This woman did not come demanding or pleading. You know, some people just say, God, you owe me this. God, I did this and this and this for you. You owe me this. There's not a good record of those kinds of prayers being answered. God wants us to come like this Canaanite woman. He wants us to come realizing that we don't deserve his mercy, but that he loves us, and so he gives it to us. She did not ask for Jesus' help on the basis of her own goodness. She asked for help on the basis of his goodness. And that's an important point theologically for all of us tonight. It's his goodness is what is a blessing to us. It's what gives us the fortitude to persevere in the ways of our Lord. To walk through, perhaps, the valley of the shadow of death. To walk through the, the battles that are raging about us. To walk through the misconceptions that some people have. To walk through the family difficulties, the business difficulties that we might be in. We can learn something from this lady's perspective. Not on my goodness, but on his goodness. Mercy is integral to God's redemptive work for man. From the time of the fall, man has no way back to God except through the merciful grace of Jesus. It is not surprising, therefore, that in the New Testament and in the Greek Old Testament, that's the Septuagint, uh, various forms of the verb to have mercy, that's one word in the Greek, to have mercy are used some 500 times. So that is, this is not a, a word that is foreign to us. If we've read the Old Testament, if we've read the New Testament, then this word is very, very familiar to us. In his profound penitential psalm, penitential means expressing sorrow for having done the wrong thing. You know, David had a number of penitential uh, psalms that he wrote where he was saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done, for what I've become, uh, for how I've influenced people, for this, for that. In one of those, after his confessed sin with Bathsheba, David pleaded for nothing but mercy. 
Mercy was what he needed. Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy compassion. Blot out, please, my transgressions. Expressing sorrow for things that we've done wrong. Have you done that? Have you done that recently? Have you come before the Lord? I don't know if you're a morning prayer or a night prayer. But have you come before the Lord and said, Father, I messed up. I messed up and I know it and I'm sorry. And I beg for your forgiveness and your love. You know, the wonderful thing about that is, is if we come with our heart right, and we come pleading for the mercy of God, he gives it to us. Because he loves us so very, very much. Saving faith is a repentant faith. Paul declares that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Romans 2.4 The second mark of a great faith is that it would be rightly directed. You know, you you can't just have faith in the sky. You can't have faith in the mountains. You can't have faith in the sea. You know, a lot of pagans down through the years have worshipped the god of the sea or the god of the mountains or some ridiculous thing like that. Great faith has to be directed to the right object. Those who believe that somehow, in some way, by some means, everything is going to ultimately work out all right, They are daydreaming. They're just daydreaming. Their prayer is not focused in the right place. I believe that in the darkest night, a candle glows. Have you heard that before? I believe. That song has more bad theology in it than almost any song. I mean, it's terrible. None of that song is right. And people just sing that and smile like I'm telling the gospel right here. It is just so wrong. I told somebody that one time uh, in the middle of the rehearsal. They were going to sing I Believe. They all got mad at me. They thought it was real pretty. Well, to trust in that kind of situation is to believe nothing more trustworthy than your own imagination because that's all it is it is unbelievably foolish to put ultimate trust in something or someone that you know nothing about that's ridiculous to jump out of an airplane with a parachute on is an act of faith to jump out of a parachute out of a plane without a parachute while ex- exclaiming, I believe, that is an act of stupidity. (laughs) Strong stupidity. To say, I believe it'll all work out. How many times have you heard, I believe it's all going to work out? That's, That's not good theology. You've got to direct your prayer to God. You've got to ask him for his mercy, his love, his favor. You don't just pray out into the air. You direct your prayer in a meaningful way. I believe that everything is going to be okay. That kind of contentless 
prayer, contentless faith, is pointless and powerless. It's not directed toward God. For faith to make sense and to have power, it must be placed in a trustworthy object. This Canaanite woman turned her back on her idols and put her faith in the Lord Jesus. She, she did a complete turnaround and came to the Lord. Despite her pagan background, she had heard all about the Jews' Messiah that had come. Of course, some people back then, the religious leadership, for instance, didn't believe in that. They didn't think that Jesus was the Messiah. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, they all hated him. They didn't think he was the Messiah at all. Well, this lady just took a step on faith. She didn't know, I'm sure. She didn't have any theological background, any theological training whatsoever. She had heard of the Messiah's great power and that he had done so many wonderful works, that he had healed people with all kinds of terrible, terrible things. She sensed his great goodness and she treated him with dignity and expectancy. After the irreverent treatment of the Lord by the scribes and the Pharisees, I'm sure it was a a nice feeling to finally have somebody come up and say something nice in a, in a way of respect, in a way of faith. I'm sure that was a great change from some of the conversations that Jesus had had. This woman loved her young daughter more than anything, more than her own life. And she came to the only source of help that she knew of. Her faith was great because she turned from faith in false gods, dumb idols, pagan deities, to faith in Jesus Christ. When her daughter became cruelly demon-possessed. Now, just think of that. It's it's hard for us to relate to that. Cruelly demon-possessed. That's what she was. The mother discovered that she could get no help from a goddess of stone. She could get no help from the god of the mountain. She could get no help from the sky, from big trees, from some people that paraded around like they were some kind of a witch doctor. She couldn't get any help from that. Therefore, she left her religious system, she left her pagan family, her pagan friends, And she let her false belief that had no answers and no power, she let that go. And she came to the only one that could help her. And my friends, he's the only one that can help us. And he will if we call out to him and ask him to be with us and to lift us up out of the sin of our life. He'll do that. Tonight, uh, we want to take just a moment and ask if there's anyone in the house who would like to trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Would you, maybe coming out of a pagan background, like to place your faith and trust in Christ? Tonight would be a wonderful time for that. 
We're going to sing just a stanza or two of an invitation. And if you feel like the Lord is speaking to you in that way, if you feel like you'd like to come and join the church and be a part of the family of God, then we'd want you to do it. Don't hold back. Just let go. Let God have his way in your life. I'll be standing down here at the front waiting on you to come. Let's stand together as we sing.